the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn. We've got a great show for you today. We are actually doing something philosophical. I figured people needed a little bit of a mental switch from all of the news that's going on today. So we are not going to spend a whole lot of time on Ukraine. It'll be reported in the news. But in this half hour of the show, we will be interviewing the Holocaust Memorial Michigan Holocaust Memorial, which is located in Farmington Hills, Mr. Mark Muller, who is one of the the uh, organizers of a an exhibit called the Paper Brigade. We had it's a, a book that was written by David Fisher Fishman a couple of years back. We had David Fishman on, and uh, so now the the uh, Holocaust Memorial has decided they're going to do a whole exhibit about the Paper Brigade. Definitely worth seeing. The second half hour of the show, we will be talking about Parshas uh, Pekude, which can be found in chapter 37 and following of the book of Exodus, ends of the book, and we have a terrific story at the end. Music throughout. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine and offered humanitarian aid to the Ukrainian Jewish community. Russia denounced Israel's sovereignty in Golan Heights at the UN after Jerusalem backed Ukraine. It's one of those tit-for-tat things. In the meantime, Ukraine's 50,000 or so Jews are hunkering down for the duration. Community buildings have been turned into shelters, and large quantities of non-perishables have been stored for the long haul. 
The Federation of Metro Detroit is collecting funds for the Jewish community of Ukraine. Donations can be made at jewishdetroit.com Ukraine. And the worldwide Chabad movement is also doing the same thing, and donations could be made there at chabad.org slash Ukraine. Speaking of humanitarian aid, Israel sent water purifiers, medicine, and aid workers to the Philippines, which is still suffering from a major typhoon that hit the country last December. Israel sent aircraft into Syria twice this week to destroy Iranian positions. Three Syrians were killed during the raid. Massachusetts adopted the international definition of anti-Semitism, making it the 16th state to do so. Anti-Semitic flyers were distributed throughout Coleyville, Texas, the site of the temple kidnapping last month. The FBI is investigating. A 70-year-old bus driver was brutally beaten in a parking lot in Brooklyn by four black teens. Police are looking for the teens. In other news, an Austrian, this one comes into the fact of, like, could you just be a little smarter? An Austrian man who was working on designing the new Maccabee Center in Tel Aviv suffered a heart attack and nearly died after eating tahini for for lunch. The man knew he has a sesame allergy, but did not know that the very popular dip is made from sesame seeds. The man spent two days in the hospital and is lucky he's alive. And finally, you want to listen to this one, folks. Listen, listen. Ding, ding, ding. Israel's Valkani Institute now holds the world record for the largest strawberry. The berry weighs nine and a half ounces and is 13 inches in circumference. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have on live Mr. Mark Miller, who is a curator for the Holocaust Center of Michigan. It's located in Farmington Hills. They have a new exhibit, one which is uh, quite eye-opening and something to go see. I recommend it highly, and that's the story of the Paper Brigade. How are you today, Mark? Doing well, Rabbi. Thank you for having me. It is indeed my pleasure. Okay, so the museum, the, the exhibit is titled "Would You Sac- your, Sacrifice Your Life for a Book?" So, let's let's hear what was, what's the philosophy behind the museum's bringing in the story of the Book Brigade. Well, a small a small point. The the title is actually the Book Smugglers, Book Smugglers. partisan poets, and the race to save Jewish treasures from the Nazis. And really, the question of the exhibit 
is, would you risk your life to save a book? Okay. So what's the philosophy then behind the book smugglers? The book smugglers is about resistance. It's about saving, you know, these cultural treasures that were being looted by the Nazis for future generations. Okay. Could you explain, please? (laughs) Of course. Um, The Paper Brigade was formed by the Nazis to loot these cultural treasures in order to create the ability to have an anti-Semitic-based Jewish studies kind of field in Nazi Germany. And the people that they were tasked to loot these cultural treasures were often Lithuanian uh, in Vilna, of course. This is is where this takes place. Uh, Mostly educated Jewish people, professors, poets, writers, artists. And they took it upon themselves to smuggle these books and paintings and letters and manuscripts into the Vilna ghetto so that the Nazis couldn't get their hands on them. Okay, why does the Holocaust Memorial feel it important to create a whole exhibit about this one very small story of the Holocaust, Mark? We tell individual stories as a way to understand the Holocaust, and the story of Vilna and the story of the people in the paper brigade is one of thousands of stories that we like to tell. It's a different approach and it's a different area that people don't always understand or know about. Okay, so the um, so the, the the this is a, uh, a I don't know if you call, I don't know the correct museum term for it, but this exhibit has uh, is in, on display elsewhere, and so tell us yeah. about how it is that the the Holocaust Memorial went about uh, procuring the items for this exhibit, the the book smugglers. Sure. So the exhibit was created by the Holocaust Museum Houston, and it is a traveling exhibit. It was in Dallas before it came here. And some of the artifacts that are included are from our own collection here. So, for example, we have a Mishniot from Vilna from 1857. We have a Vilna Shas from 1902. And As I mentioned, we like to tell personal stories. We have artifacts from a Lithuanian survivor um, named Diane Tobin. And we use those things to round out and give, you know, kind of help people to understand the story a little bit better. Okay. So, So take us through then. So what would people be seeing when they come to the Holocaust Memorial? Uh, If they're coming to see this exhibit specifically, they will see uh, some, a lot of books. They will, if on a tour, have the opportunity to uh, touch and hold a a Yiddish book from the early 20th century. Um, They will see replicas and reproductions of some of the actual artifacts that were rescued by the paper brigade. And, you know, they will see a lot of photographs and imagery that help to tell the story of both Vilna and of the paper brigade itself. Okay. You actually had Mark Fishman uh, come and talk to the 
uh, to make a presentation. It's uh, he he wrote <clears throat> excuse me he wrote the book about the the paper brigade and the book smugglers. The book is called the book smugglers, and when they finally make a movie about it, it'll probably be called the book smugglers. And Most likely, yes. <laughs> and so, what was what was his take? What did he present to to the people when he came to the when the when the exhibit first opened, Mark? Uh, David did an a, a online presentation for us that really focused on he, – he really did a nice job of summarizing the book itself and talking a little bit about the you know kind of curation process for the exhibit. But really what he did is he summarized some of the main points of his book. He told the stories of uh, Abraham Sutzkever. He told the stories of Rachel Krinsky and some of the people that were active in the paper brigade. Okay, so so tell us tell us about the the uh, Sussiver was a poet. We he has a book of poetry which was just recently published in English. We have a copy of it in the Jewish Ferndale Public Lending Library. So tell us what's mm-hmm. what was his story? What what makes him something that people in Michigan should want to know about? Sussiver, as you mentioned, is a poet, and he's considered by some to be one of the more important 20th century Yiddish poets um, there was. He was also active in the paper brigade in Vilna um, as a book smuggler. He also later was active in the FPO, which my Lithuania is not good enough to pronounce, but that was the the Jewish resistance, the armed resistance um, against the Nazis in, in Vilna and in the Lithuanian forest. Okay. And and Sutskever wrote very candidly about his experiences in the Vilna ghetto uh, in verse. I mean, he, he wrote poems after his child, his infant child, was murdered by the Nazis in his arms. You know, he wrote extremely powerful poetry. And we think that his, 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 his courage and his strength is something that everyone hopefully can relate to in the face of unbelievable adversity, but also his use of art and poetry to come to terms with his experiences. Okay, a lot of people are familiar with the Warsaw Ghetto because they had the famous Warsaw Ghetto uprising. A lot of people don't know about the Vilna or Vilnius Ghetto. What what was mm-hmm. its distinction? What made it something? So Vilna, the city itself, I think is part of what made it a special or an interesting place. Vilna was known as the Jerusalem of Lithuania, had an extremely active and literate culture of Yiddish theater, of of Torah study, of um, you know active religious and cultural life that was centered around being Jewish and Yiddish speaking. Uh, the ghetto itself was actually established in 1941 um, after the Nazis broke the non-aggression uh, pact with um, the Soviets. Uh, they formed two ghettos within the city. One was liquidated almost immediately in October of 1941. Uh, and then it remained quiet for most of 1942. And in that time, the, the residents of the ghetto, the Jewish residents of the ghetto, were able to establish a library and establish something of a cultural life they also had time to develop resistance techniques in that time. Okay. And ultimately, 
It was liquidated in 1943, and the remaining people either were murdered in the Ponar Forest or went to the out into the woods to join the resistance. Okay, so now when so how did how did it work with the uh, the the people who were involved in the paper brigade? What were they charged with, and what did they do? Sure. So the paper brigade were, as I mentioned earlier primarily educated Jewish residents, and they were the people who could recognize cultural tra treasures quickly and identify them as such. A lot of them were poets, they were uh, Yiddish or Hebrew professors, they were librarians, they were people that could understand you know, what they were seeing and what they were seeing quickly. The Germans wanted these treasures sent back to Germany for study and for archiving. And so they were tasked with finding the most valuable of the things and set aside the rest for destruction. Okay, that's what they were charged with. So, and what did they do? And what they did is they did have to set some aside to go back to Germany, but often they smuggled the things on their bodies into the ghetto because uh, the Evo building, which is a very, you know, at the time Evo was uh, centered in or headquartered in Vilnius. Um, they were in the Evo building and in their famous Strassung library, they were smuggling those, those manuscripts and Torah scrolls and books and things into the ghetto and hiding them sometimes alongside the weapons of the resistance, sometimes in church buildings, in basements, burying them in sports fields, wherever they could. Mm -hmm. And after the war, what percentage would you say was recovered, Mark, uh, Mark Muller? That's a very difficult question to answer, Rabbi, because they're still discovering things today. And, you know, in Germany, in the Offenbach Depot, which is across the river from Frankfurt, there was a million and a half volumes of looted uh, just books. And those haven't all been sorted and returned today. And throughout Vilna and throughout you know, the ghetto area, people are still finding pieces. Um, they're finding manuscripts. They are finding, you know, hidden uh, canisters with letters. So it's a really difficult question to answer. I would say that, be, thankfully, Sutskever and Schmerka, who's another main character of this story, returned to Vilna and were able to try to find a lot of the things. But, unfortunately, a large number of the pieces were hidden in the attic of the Evo building, which was bombed and destroyed. Oh, and that's that's all. That stuff is all gone, unfortunately. Okay, so now, when a museum curates an exhibit, there's a takeaway. What is it that the people are going to be coming specifically to to view the exhibit of the book smugglers? What is it that the Holocaust Memorial wants the visitors that when they visit this to take away with them? You know, Rabbi, one of the most long-lasting impressions that this exhibit and this story has given me is that it is a story of cultural and spiritual resistance. It focuses on what ordinary people did and felt they were capable of doing in the face of cultural and physical destruction to save religious and spiritual and cultural artifacts. So much of 
Holocaust literature and exhibits are focused on violence perpetrated by the Nazis, and that's, of course, understandable. And so much of our stories of resistance are about picking up a gun. And this is about a different type of important religious and spiritual and, and cultural resistance that I think is a very relatable and special story. And I think your, your listeners would, if they were to come here and visit, which I, of course, think they should, would take away, you know, a, a deeper understanding of what other types of resistance there are available to people in this world. Okay, that's fascinating. Okay, so now tell us about the the Zeckelman Memorial Center, located in Farmington Hills, right on Orchard Lake Road, north of Twelve Mile, right as you come off of Six Ninety Six. For those want to wanting mm-hmm. to go there, what's why is there a Holocaust Memorial? So. The Zuckerman Holocaust Center, we are a 55,000-square-foot museum and library archives, as you mentioned, in Farmington Hills on Orchard Lake, just off of 696. And, you know, we are here because of the survivor community believing deeply in the importance of memorializing and remembering the Holocaust. Our, our mission is to educate, empower, and engage by remembering the Holocaust. And how does the, the museum do that? So we use artifacts, we use personal stories, and we use um, you know, other educational materials like video and testimony uh, to teach about the senseless murder of millions and why each of us must respect and stand up for the rights of others and to prevent further genocides and hate crimes and anti-Semitism. Okay. Now, so tell us about the demographics. Who, what's, what, the, who are the people that are coming? I know COVID has put a real chink in the armor as to visiting, and we'll talk about you know how people come to visit now. But before COVID, mm-hmm. who were the people that were coming? Give us a general overview of who visited the yeah. Holocaust Memorial. We do a lot of school groups. That's that's a really one of the the strongest. Um, programs we have available to us. You know, we're actively reaching out to school districts around the state in order to get them to come here when they can. We offer um, grants for to help pay for transportation to Title I schools. You know, we are very active in getting as many schools as we can through the doors of this museum. We also offer online programs for those who are just too far away called Virtual Museum Experiences. Um, where they, you know, we can do a virtual kind of uh, streamed or Zoom presentation to the students in their classroom if you're, say, up in the Upper Peninsula or something like that. We do get, you know, 15,000-ish walk-in people a year as well, and we host events and we host concerts and we have meetings here as well. Uh, you know, we, we have a very, you know, pre-COVID, we had a very, very active uh, community of people who would meet here to do remembrance uh, services and things like that as well. Okay. Now, the one of the things which the Holocaust Memorial is known for is its digital library and, and resources, which going back to uh, Rabbi Rosenzweig, way back when, when the Internet was first starting, he saw that it would be really important to get all the stuff on the, up on the Internet so people access it all over the world. So tell us about your, your digital content. A lot of our digital content that we offer, you can certainly search our library through our website, of course. 
Uh, and we offer some educational resources, especially to teachers and um, you know parents who are, are hoping to teach about the Holocaust, maybe their homeschool parents as well. Uh, you know, we have curriculum options. We have a writing and art competition that we host uh, that you can learn about through our website as well. And we have some digitized um, resources, you know, along the lines we're digitizing our uh, survivor speakers, uh, testimonies, and things like that. And you can search from the website. You can search the our survivor testimonies and see who's given the speech and what their you know or who's given their testimony to us and what their kind of overall subject is and things like that. Okay, terrific. That's that's going to do it for us. So give us the hours and and uh, admissions and what if people want to come. The uh, the the frequently asked questions about actually visiting and your COVID policy, et cetera. Absolutely. Sure. So we are open Sunday through Thursday, 9.30 to 5, and on Fridays, 9.30 to 3. We are closed on Saturday. Uh, the exhibit is open now, and it's open through uh, May 31st. That's in order to see the um, to see book smugglers, partisans, poets, and the race to save Jewish treasures from the Nazis, although our core exhibit will continue to be open year-round. Uh, you can visit our website, holocaustcenter.org. We have all of our information regarding you know, uh, COVID policies and, and any potential, since it's we winter, weather issues that might affect your visit here. And, you know, I just really want to encourage your, vi your listeners to come and visit this exhibit while it's here. Okay, that's wonderful. Our guest has been Mark Muller. He's a curator at the Zuckelman Center Holocaust Memorial. Located in Farmington Hills, we want to wish you lots of success and keep us apprised of uh, further developments there, Mark. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, children, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's do some music. Up for your listening pleasure, brand new. This is God Elbaz, who's become quite prolific. Got a great voice. The song is called Geula Redemption.
And that was God Elbaz, the song Geula. A couple of weeks ago, there was a, uh, I guess we could, we could describe her as such a clown of a personality in the House of Representatives representing the great state of Georgia, who came out with a malapropism and trying to talk disparaging about someone and calling them like the Gestapo police, said that that person is like, the gazpacho police. Now, uh, gazpacho, I happen to like gazpacho. It's that wonderful uh, cold tomato vegetable soup that's origins in Spain, and it's a real summer treat. Michael Winograd loved the title gazpacho police so much that he composed, uh, arranged, and plays a song called Gazpacho Police Klezmer. Let's listen.
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Listening to the Jewish Hour, we've got time for one more song. This is the group is called Pompadisa, which that sounds really weird. But Pompadisa was a city of a major academy in Babylon more than a thousand years ago, and so I guess the music tends to be a little uh, Middle Eastern type flavored. The song is Ain Ode Milvado. There's none other than him.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Fenman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. This week is actually very difficult to talk about. Last week was the portion of Shkalim. It was a special week. They took out two Sefer Torahs, two Torah scrolls, in the synagogue, and they read about the portion about the uh, the uh, the giving of the half shekel in preparation for Passover. Next week is portion of Zachar, which is done in preparation for Purim. This week's in the middle, and then the portion itself is a repeat of three weeks ago, Parshas Tetzave, and we talked about Parshas Tetzave. So, but so what's there? What's there to talk about? Ah. <laughs> There has never been a rabbi who has been at a loss for words. It just, it's not part of our nature. The portion talks about, uh, the, the beginning part of the portion, talks about a, a, uh, an account, accounts receivables, and accounts payables. Moshe did an audit. Why? Because people were suspect that he was, take, he was skimming off the top. And you're talking Moses over here. And this is the person who def- successfully defended the Jewish people from annihilation by God after the perpetration of the golden calf. And what are they worried about? Moshe's stealing stuff. And what's he going to do with the money anyway? There's nothing to buy. Small-minded people sometimes. So Moses put forth an account, and he had it down right to the penny, except... He was off by 1,775 ounces of silver. Now, let's put into proportion. Okay, so in today's market, 18, let's call it 1,800. 1,800 ounces of silver is worth about, let's say, $35,000. Okay, now $35,000 does sound like something to, to pilfer, but in the grand scheme of things, if you're going to pilfer, why pilfer just that much? And to put in addition to it, the overall cost of the making of the sanctuary, and today's market would be somewhere, since we use the number 35000 which is today's market, the overall cost for making a sanctuary in the desert, as they did then, would be upwards around $40 million, $400 million, excuse me. So what's $35,000? It's like, ugh. And Moses, but <laughs> Moses wants to lay, lay any fears. And he's up and down and up and down. It's like when you go to balance your checkbook and you find that you're four cents off. It's like, just say you made a deposit or wrote a check for four cents and just like get on with your life. It's only four cents. Nope. That's not how you do. That's not how you balance a checkbook. You get it so that you find where the four cents was and you see, oh, I wrote an eight instead of a four. Something like that. 
And then you see where it, what it was. Moses is working, he's sweating bullets until God finally told him, oh, by the way, there were 35 half-ounce, 3,500 half-ounce hooks, which you forgot about when you made your accounts payable, which would be akin to saying not including some of the nails that went into a 100-story skyscraper. So... Because the nails add up. And you talk boxes and each box of nails is what's a half ounce of silver is nothing. But boxes and boxes of nails, it could equal up to 35000 So he's very happy that the Almighty helped him with that account. We, got, we have the same deal. We also should be making accounts, not just on times of, like, say, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. But every night before we go to sleep, we have to look and we have to do accounts receivable. Our accounts and accounts payable. What are all the good things that happened today? What did I do good today? What needs correcting for tomorrow? And let's let's sort of like hopefully we want to get out to a balanced out ledger to show the Almighty. Yeah, we we did it. We were pr- productive today. It says Abraham lived to be a hundred and seventy five, and every single day of his life. He could show how it was productive. So we have to do the same thing. We have to show how life is productive. This segues into Purim. Purim is coming up. It's March the 15th and 16th. We will be making a public Megillah reading at Jewish Ferndale. And that will be on Wednesday night, March the 15th. I'm thinking, I don't have the exact time. It has to be read after sun, after dusk. I don't have the exact dusk time yet. We haven't exact got all those details. But after dusk, it's already after daylight savings time. So figure sometime around 8.15 is what I'm thinking, is when we will be reading the Megillah, followed by a sumptuous masked ball. And we're going to be featuring all kinds of wonderful things. Stay tuned. Watch the website and look around for flyers around the neighborhood. Uh, the website is being jewishferndale.com. And uh, you're all invited. So uh, come by. You'll hear the Megillah reading. And it's the fastest Megillah reading in Ferndale. Yes, indeedy. The whole story behind the book of Esther, which leads to the story of Purim, is the Jews were faced with annihilation simply because they were Jews. You talk about anti-Semitism. One of these days we're going to get Deborah Lipstadt on this book for when she finally gets uh, confirmed as the uh, secretary or czar or whatever title the position has on world anti-Semitism and see what's the, what's the scope of anti-Semitism. It doesn't get much more anti-Semitic than it did almost 2,500 years ago in what was then Persia in a, a city called Shushan, which is still exists till this day. And Mordechai and Esther happened to be there, by the way, be buried there. With a threat of annihilation of every single Jew. Okay. And this was going to be, he had the, the infrastructure was in place. And Every single non-Jew was commanded to go kill a Jew on a single day. In one day, they're going to kill millions of Jews. Until, of course, the divine intervention. You could read, I strongly, highly 
recommend reading the, the story of the book of Esther. Read it with the commentaries. So you know what's going on in the backstory too. But what was it that caused the defeat of the enemies of the Jews? Was their dedication to the to the cause, as it says, and to the Jewish people, there was light, there was joy, there was gladness, there was preciousness. And our sages say, light of Torah, the, I know Vikar is the tefillin, and uh, the other things, the Shabbos, the Jews finally said, you know, these are good things. We like doing these things now. Because there's always been, there's always an attitude thing. Are we acting as Jews because we have to? Or are we acting as Jews because we want to? So if you look at the Sabbath, for example, as a whole lot of you are not allowed to's. So then, you're not allowed to turn on the light, not allowed to drive, not allowed to go shopping, not allowed to watch television, all these things that you're not allowed to's. If you look at it that way, so it, then the Sabbath, God forbid, becomes very, very tedious and even to the point of like caving in on a person, stifling. But if a person looks at the Shabbos as, I don't have tos, I don't need tos, I have better things. So then the Shabbos becomes an uplifting, elevating experience that frees a person, exactly the opposite. And so the Jews, if you look at the Book of Kings too, for example, Judaism was compulsory. People just weren't into it. That's why the temple was destroyed and Jews were kicked out of Israel. God said, you don't want to do it? Fine, get out. Come back when you're ready. And it took 70 years for the people to say, we, we want to do this. We want to dedicate ourselves to this. And so that's what the takeaway with the story of Purim is. That when a Jew goes to do something, he should see the light in it. He should see the joy in it. He should see the preciousness of it. What are we seeing? We're seeing that we're running out of time, and we need to take a quick commercial break and come back with a really cool Hasidic story. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Fleming, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. Would you like to get in touch with me? Go to my website, rabbifinman.com. If you're listening at the website, wait until the end of the show, because if you click off, uh, the show stops. So wait till the end. But if you're on any of the other platforms on which this show is archived, being things like iTunes and Odyssey, iHeartRadio, um, Spotify, I don't even know where else it is. Any place where you listen to your pod, uh, your your podcasts, it's all connected right there. It's uh, we mean make, aim to make life easy 
So you go to RabbiFinman.com, you check out the, the homepage, and right there is a contact me, I'll contact you, we'll exchange letters, everything will be cool, life will be good. There's also archived editions of the show. We're in the process. We had a uh, bit of a technical glitch, and we are in the process of uploading all the shows that have been missed. So uh, sometime in the near future, we'll have maybe maybe eight years' worth of shows. It's like 500 years, 500 shows, 500 episodes. And you can sit and binge to your heart's content. Let me know how that goes. We have other ways in which we convey Judaism and interesting and educational way at rabbifinman.com and there's a very important donations page we thank god are caught up we are up to february thank you for the donations that come in they come in little bits by little bits i understand that there's going to be a focus now on uh, on uh, ukrainian U- ukraine ukrainian jury and helping out over there and funds should most rightfully be directed towards there but the Jewish Hour is the one who's reporting about it. We're letting you know what's happening over there. So keep us in mind and uh, go to RabbiFinman.com, go to the donations page, and uh, make your donations. And uh, say a little prayer for, for our brethren, and, and God will surely help. Don't like doing Internet donating? Well, you can drop in your your uh, donation. And I did get a bunch this uh, this last past week that were mailed, actually one was actually just dropped in the, in the mailbox, at Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220, which is the Jewish Ferndale building. And uh, you'll be right. The story involves Avram Yehoshua Heschel of Apta, known as the Oye of Yisrael. He lived in the city of Apta, and he was first a rabbi in Jassy. Jassy, I believe, is in... Romania and Apta, where he's known from, he's called Avram Yeshua of Apta. Apta, I believe, is in Poland, but it probably it depended on what day of the week it was, whether it was Poland or some other country. One time it happened that um, as rabbi of the city, the city gathered together, you know, pooled their, their, uh, their resources, and they gave a very nice shalach manis, to the rabbi on Purim Day, which this year will be March seventeenth, it is customary to give at least two gifts of food to one person and one gift of charity to at least two people. So they got together and they did this, and included in this gift was a bunch of gold coins which the rabbi was to distribute for the poor to the poor on behalf of the community. And the rabbi, Avram Yeshua Heschel, sat there in his, in his study, and he was like playing with the coins. He was like rubbing them and, and fiddling with them and playing back and forth with them and... His, his kids were very surprised at this. He was like taking great interest in the coins because they had been read, raised that money is feh. Feh is Yiddish for like disgusting, icky, yucky. It's onomatopoetic, feh. And he would do anything he could just to, he, just, he was not into money at all. It was not his thing. So one of his kids asked him, Ta, 
what are you doing with the coins? Why are you playing with them? So he said, I have a mitzvah of giving away these coins to the poor. Now, what kind of mitzvah is it if I'm giving something to somebody that I despise? You know, I was talking with some members of my family about the wedding presents that you don't want. You know, it's like there's always this stuff, This uh, people give you a thing, or as my wife would call it, a thwang, which has absolutely no use. It is absolutely nothing that you could ever think of doing. You have no need for such a thing. You don't want the thing in your house. So what do you do? The next person who gets married, you give it to them. And my wife, when we were first married, my wife commented that there's like, we got a really ugly set of mugs for our wedding present, and we gave it on to the next person. And my wife said, you'll see, in 20 years or so, one of our kids will get the same set of mugs because nobody's going to want this set of mugs. And it'll just keep on being re-gifted. And what goes around comes around. Eventually, it'll come back. It's a joke, but... So if you don't want it, and then I even the person to whom I gave these mugs to, when they sent they they sent me a thank you card, they thanked me for singing at the wedding, but they didn't thank me for the gift. That's how bad these were really ugly. So he said, if I can't give away something to somebody that I hate, that I find disgusting, that's no way to do a mitzvah. So I'm sitting here with these coins, and learning how to love them so that I can give away something that I love. I mean, the idea of, of doing a mitzvah, a person should do it with light, with joy, with happiness, that they're doing something good. That's going to do it for the show today. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.